Welcome to today's episode of Transformation Talks. I am your host, Sam Forge, and today we'll be talking all things yoga and a little bit of meditation with my good friend, Ali Stratner, who is a full-time professional yoga and meditation teacher. Ali, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. Yeah, of course. I'm glad to have you. Now, one of the things we talked about off air before we kind of kick things off today was that we were going to, or at least I thought, focus on yoga specifically. And you've already been educating me about how yoga and meditation can't necessarily be separated, how they are so heavily intertwined. So I'd love if you could actually go back a little bit to how you first became familiar with each of these yoga and meditation and how you came to learn that they are so heavily intertwined. That's a perfect question to kick this off with because I have been practicing yoga for far longer than I have been fully appreciating it. And anytime anybody asks me, oh, how long have you been practicing yoga? And I say, physically, I've been doing it since I was a kid and I would take it at camp in the summer and I would take it alongside of cheerleading and gymnastics and dance and we always incorporated yoga postures into you know our recovery or our warm-ups and when I got older I started taking classes at different studios and I really started realizing, wow, this is a mental workout just as much as it is physical. And it's not just a workout. It's also like a work in to be able to have this meditative practice that is physical. And so diving into it a little bit more and to your point of how I really realized it was so intertwined I was in a rough place in my life transitioning from community college to um, a university. Um, And at the time, my parents were going through a divorce and I was going through a breakup shortly after that. I had also lost a family member at the time. And it was just a it was just a a very low point in my life. And it wasn't until someone told me to sit down and close my eyes and breathe and be the observer in a yoga practice that I realized, holy shit, this is really hard because I've always been a pretty physically capable person. I've always been flexible because I did competitive gymnastics and dance and cheerleading and all of those require you to be fairly flexible and and also fairly strong. So a lot of the arm balances and handstands came pretty naturally to me, but the meditative component of the practice is really what kicked my ass and what ended up changing my life. So that's really why I teach is because I learned so much about how intertwined yoga and meditation really are. Now, as somebody who is and was so historically physically capable and fit and athletic, when we transition kind of the mental side of things, what do you feel like the biggest obstacles were for kind of owning that mindfulness, owning that meditation. Because as you said, that was more the part that kicked your ass rather than a grueling yoga session. It was learning how to tap into that mental side of things. So what did those obstacles look like and how did you actually overcome them? I I am someone who you could say overthinks a lot and I am pretty analytical. And in being that way, when I am feel, and I'm also pretty sensitive and emotional. I'm I'm a very empathetic person, and I've learned that that's actually one of my strengths. And I've really been able to hone in on that in a productive way. But when you're sensitive and emotional, and you don't have the ability to be the observer within yourself and to just take a step back, sometimes you're more susceptible to being easily overwhelmed. And at that point in my life, I was very overwhelmed. I, I basically just shut down. I just wasn't as productive 
Um, I didn't know how to compartmentalize my thoughts. My emotions were becoming my mood, which were then affecting my day. And weeks and, you know, until I learned that the exercise of meditation is not to clear your mind, which kind of taps into misconceptions and whatnot of yoga we can talk about down the road, but it's not so much about clearing your mind and just ridding yourself of all of these distractions and discomforts that you experience within, but it is about your relationship to your thoughts and your emotions and what you feel and find to be present. And I think in that work of learning how to observe rather than judge, um, I found my greatest obstacles. I, I had a hard time taking a step back and really learning not to just automatically judge my thoughts as soon as they come, but rather to create space between stimulus and response. I find that to be so interesting because what you mentioned, it's not just about clearing your mind, clearing your thoughts is always something I, I feel as though I've been led to believe, which often has made me historically feel like a failure when it comes to meditation. Because when I sit down to quote unquote meditate, and I can't totally clear my mind or get rid of all my thoughts. I'm like, what's the, I'm, I'm not good at this. I'm just going to quit. So tell me more about what it actually means to observe your thoughts. Like you mentioned a separation between emotions and mood. And I think a lot of people, myself included, would use those interchangeably. So what does that actually look like? Can you explain that like observation process of your thoughts rather than combining them? Sure. And I'll even offer an analogy that I commonly used in um, practice and I actually have to give credit to how I learned how to meditate which was actually (laughs) Insight Timer um, which is an app and it's the number one free meditation app in the world and no one is paying me to say that it really (laughs) is just like a great resource so it's called Insight Timer insight timer yeah like spelled as you have insight okay okay yeah um so the analogy that i use um to help people observe rather than judge what they feel and find present is often i'll i'll say imagine you're closing your eyes and you are looking at a clear blue sky And every cloud that is passing by is a thought. And instead of having to analyze what you think that cloud looks like or how it makes you feel or, you know, focus on it for too long, you can observe as it passes by. You could even put your thoughts into those clouds and take a step back and observe them and start to just notice how they make you feel. And, and that is the work, right? To be able to do that without having to analyze or judge or edit anything. And when you do that, ironically, only when you do that is when you can feel more free or peaceful because you start to create this natural filter of things that don't need to be there. Like you filter out things that don't need to be there. You create more space and you start to notice what is taking up space in your mind and making sure it's worth the space that it's taking up. I follow. I I love that visual. Yeah. The idea of a little bit of, and again, it's a hypothetical, right? But that separation between the thing that I'm, I'm experiencing or at least feel like I'm experiencing right now and actually having to react to it. And with the cloud analogy specifically, I feel like the thing I like even more is that clouds pass. So if I have something that could potentially upset me and I separate it and have this visual of, you know what, let's let's take a step back. Let's, like you said, not judge, let's just observe. Here's this third party thing that's out here. It's external. Let's maybe analyze it if we feel like we have the space to do that. But if not, it's gonna eventually pass and it doesn't have to, dictate our mood or reaction for the day, if I'm understanding that correctly. Exactly. 
Exactly. You, you said that beautifully because when we do create that space also, and, and that is just the analogy also. So you can listen and, and as you develop a meditative uh, meditation practice, you can listen without judging. You start to be more comfortable with just listening and observing whatever you feel and also what's happening around you. Um, Another thing, another element, and maybe diving into the misconceptions of yoga and meditation as well, is that you need to be in the perfect environment. And you really don't (laughs) because... As annoying as it would be to sit in the middle of the city, in the city park, and hear everything around you, and try to just observe your own thoughts, as annoying as that would be, it would also be arguably quite productive, because every single distraction that you hear externally, or that you feel internally, physically, um, emotionally, is all designed to create an opportunity for you to practice how you are showing up. So to be able to not judge the person yelling across the street or the loud bang that you hear in the yoga class when someone knocks over their water bottle because it happens about three times every single class. Two out of those three are me. (laughs) (laughs) Or it's like people ask me, why do you let people come in late to your class? And I say, because I'd rather have them come late than leave early. Because if you're coming in late and you're coming from traffic or, or you're coming from some thing that held you up because life does that sometimes, the 10 seconds that it's going to take for you to put your yoga mat down, yeah, sure, you might disturb the peace of the people around you, but very quickly they're going to bounce back. And, and also that is an opportunity for them to just observe that this is happening and still carry on with their practice. And in, I say I'd rather have that than someone leave early because if someone is leaving early, they might not be enjoying what they're experiencing or they you know, might be cutting themselves short of receiving the whole experience for whatever the reason may be. So I, I speak to that to say distractions are healthy. <laughs> That's it. I absolutely love that. The, the phrasing of, or the description that it's an opportunity to practice the very things that you're working on and either yoga or meditation practice. And I feel like uh, in my experience and say the strength training, lifting side of things is I'll always challenge people. You want to make sure you can still perform well, whether or not you've had a pre-workout, whether or not you've had your headphones or your headphones are fully charged, whether or not you have your favorite barbell or dumbbell, you want to be able to duplicate that anywhere. Cause to me, that's the sign somebody who's truly strong, somebody who's truly advanced on the lifting side of things. And Allie, this sounds so similar where somebody who's developed a productive, healthy meditative practice doesn't need some super Zen environment with like, it's all candlelit and it's soundproof. And like you said, you could potentially do it in the city in the heart of a city. If you view it as an opportunity to almost tackle more distractions, but again, in a productive way. Exactly. So let's talk more about your transition from when you first started practicing. You said the yoga came in earlier because of your athletic background, meditation a little bit later, but obviously you coach and teach both full time now. How how soon into your personal journey did you actually start helping others and what did that process look like? (laughs) I have to say up front that my story is... um, fairly unique to my knowledge and and just from who I've spoken with and sort of how they have found yoga full-time as a profession. Um, And I say that just because I, I don't want to make this sound easy. And what I'm about to say may come off as, wow, that was really easy for her. Um, because when I was in that darker place, I will say, 
I had this overwhelming feeling of, I need to do this. And when I got that feeling of, I need to do this, I reached out to a few people in the fitness community that I was good friends with, um, still good friends with them to this day. And it's actually a very sweet full circle. They take some of my classes now, but at the time I didn't have any certification or experience teaching yoga, but I had coached cheerleading and I had taught dance. And so I felt comfortable leading a group and I felt comfortable with anatomical cues and whatnot so I figure let me try to lead like a stretching class on the side and they had just opened uh, my friends had just opened a facility and I started to practice um, leading some of their members through uh, we'll call it a yoga practice but again I didn't really know exactly what I was doing and um, it was just really good experience for me to kind of get the words out and so that sort of solidified the fact that I wanted formal training and I wanted to advance um, myself in this field and, or, and, and continue learning and in a more structured way. So I went to 200-hour teacher training right after I graduated college, and I actually turned down a few corporate job offers um, some of which my parents like still don't know about to this day. <laughs> hi, mom. Hi, dad. Um, they, I, I turned down quite a few and I had only told them about a couple of them. And I was convinced I was going to do this full time right off the bat. And so when I graduated yoga teacher training, I finished the 200 hour teacher training Um I did it through Lifetime Athletic and I auditioned. It's part of the training that you are entitled to an audition because it's your community class. So when you teach the community class, it's sort of inherently an audition. But it is very unheard of to get hired when the first yoga class you teach ever is your audition at a large corporation that is very competitive to get hired at. And so Allie walks in and I'm like, hey, and I do the class, but I knew since day one of this training that I wanted to work for a lifetime. I wanted to get my foot in the door. I wanted to work somewhere that was credible in the eyes of, you know, the majority of the public and whatnot, all of that. So I ended up getting hired right after I auditioned. Wow. <laughs> and then it was sort of serendipitous that um, someone else had gotten fired <laughs> around the same time. And so there was a lot of openings in the schedule. And, and they needed to be filled fairly quickly because it's not like it there was any notice that this was going to happen. This person needed to be removed and they were removed and there was a lot to fill. Um, so I started teaching about 10 classes a week. Wow. Right out of the gate. And right out what, of the what's gate. What's normal for most, like what is the traditional, I guess, trajectory for a new yoga teacher at a studio? They start with maybe a handful of classes a week. Is that more normal? Yeah, maybe like two. Yeah. And you <laughs> went straight to 10. If you get high, if you got, well, okay. So to be fair, I got hired with, um, I think it was like four classes split between two different locations because that's the other perk of working for a large corporation, which I recognized at this time is that there are multiple locations in the Massachusetts region. So I have multiple opportunities to get a few classes at each club. So, um, so I did, but then my schedule just kept grow growing. And really within the first six months of me working for a lifetime, I was on the schedule for about 10 classes a week. And I was also 
substituting for other people quite frequently. So sometimes I was teaching like 15 to 20 classes a week, especially like in the summer months where more people are traveling and going away and whatnot. So I dove right in and I have no regrets, but I do feel along those lines, I started to burn out a little bit and then I needed to reevaluate the formats that I was teaching and what I loved to teach the most because at first you know you're just like give me all of the classes give it give me all of them I'll teach the 6 a.m I'll teach the 6 p.m I'll I'll be there at noon like I'll be at all I used to have uh, 4 a.m and 4 30 a.m clients for my traveling business I would literally go to people's houses because again early on you're like I'll take everything I'll train you at 4 a.m and I'll come back and train your husband at 9 p.m like I'll do both exactly Exactly. whatever your schedule is let me help you here I am (laughs) exactly like so so that was and but that's a that's a good mentality when you're starting off and when you're when you're getting your foot in the door and you want to prove yourself to to somebody. Um, but yeah, I then reevaluated and I was able to kind of, um, reshape my schedule and, and on, to be fair, things naturally reshaped themselves as well. And, um, I was able to create a better schedule for myself and, and such. And then quarantine was a whole other, (laughs) a whole other chapter. I'd actually love to ask you about that specifically. How do you feel like, and this may be obvious to some people who are like very much in it, but me, somebody who's not consistent with yoga, how did that affect people's practices, both from the practitioner side of things like your end delivering your typical classes and services, and then people who typically go, like, what did they have to turn to? What did that look like? And do you feel like, I guess, more importantly, there will be any permanent or lasting changes where you see more virtual stuff or people being a little bit more independent? Like, what does that look like? Uh, I'd also love to tie this in with your question about how there are common misconceptions or what are some of the common misconceptions of yoga? Because one of the biggest misconceptions of yoga is that you have to go to the studio. You and and another is that you have to be flexible. And another is often it's a female dominated thing where it's like, you know, you see yoga advertised. To be fair, we see this in the media. We see the white woman in tree pose doing yoga with her friends. And that is what we're sold. So I get it that, you know, and or or handstands and splits and all of that. So I think, or at least I will say from my experience and what I have witnessed during quarantine is that it allowed a new space for people to explore the practice without the pressure of having to fit into any of those boxes. They suddenly had access to doing it in the comfort of their own home with their video off on Zoom, you know? So I was very fortunate during quarantine to be able to say that I stayed grounded and I was healthy and genuinely happy because not for nothing, but yoga is not a thankless job. People express how grateful they are all the time. And during a worldwide pandemic, when we're all stuck at home and there isn't really much else to do other than to find what is now available online and how can I keep myself sane. Maybe I should do some yoga. Yeah. I I had a whole new target market. Like my like my audience grew and I was able to reach people across the country in different countries. I was able to reach people who have never practiced with me before that I'm friends with. I was able to reach people through mutual friends of my friends and so on and so forth. So I was able to hold space for a lot of different kinds of people. And I love to say that yoga is for every body, like every single body can do some 
form of yoga. Doesn't matter who you are. And I think that the comfort of being in your own home and also behind a screen allowed people to step into a new space and to the practice. And I do see that there are lasting um, effects and, and, and especially in the virtual community world. Um, my mentor has opened a virtual yoga studio that is predominantly online where she streams all of her classes. And, and it was only about a few weeks ago that she got a physical space to host classes. So she has been doing this online for months. I'm sure she has private clients online. I have new private virtual clients that I still have never met in person to this day. And I now also teach a weekly yoga class online through New Human. That's every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., 45 minutes and accessible to all different levels. So you can try yoga and the comfort of your own home whenever you want. What's funny, Ali, is no matter how confident I've ever been in just like a gym setting in general, just like physically when I walk in my experience level, I've had that experience to the contrary, almost every time I've walked into a yoga class where I go, oh, shit, I'm the only guy here. I'm the least flexible. I'm the only one using blocks. Half the time, I'm like, I'm the only one who's so immobile. I can actually see my reflection in the mirror still and everyone else is bent into a pretzel to the <laughs> point where I spend like half the time, obviously trying to take the, the cueing and get into the correct positions. And half the time, like, I look like an idiot. And the former fitness coach in me would be like, well, nobody's paying attention to you, dummy. Keep doing your thing. Like nobody actually cares, but it's still very much a factor where I could totally see how doing yeah. say a virtual class, whether it's private, whether it's a group, but with the screen off all of a sudden when I'm in my home, I'm like, I don't have to worry about being the only dude and feeling like 29 women are looking at me. Like, who's that a mobile statue in the back of the class? Like he shouldn't be here. And again, I logically know people aren't thinking that, but I could totally see how, that removes so much friction and to kind of to tie back what you said before, looking at things as opportunities, like any obstacle, you just kind of rewire it in your brain. Like this is actually a good opportunity for me to practice in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also really cool to be able to do something from where, like do something from familiar wherever you are. So Say you do start taking my online classes, we build a rapport, and then you you have this other, you know, source of, I, I want to say accountability, but I'll be careful with that. It, I'll, you have this other person that you can turn to with, that you have a personal relationship to, that is holding space for you to do something productive. And then it's like when you go on vacation and you're gone for a couple of weeks or you're out of town somewhere or, you know, you're somewhere else, you're at a sleepover or something, I don't know, whatever it is, you can tune in Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. from wherever you are and have that familiar thing in the comfort of whatever space that you're in as well. And I think that's really cool because that's something I've realized has had a lasting effect is that the my students that love my classes in person are like, how else can I find you? And I'm like, well, I do this online class. And they're like, that's perfect because, you know, a lot of people travel in the summer, especially, and a lot of people go away or you could be in a different time zone and you could still make it to my class, you know? So that's very cool. Yeah. And so many more people working from home now, like we're talking about these permanent changes. So many people, maybe just their comfort level, they'd prefer to be at home for something health and fitness related, or just the normal flow of their lives is a little bit more at home, which is completely fine. So again, I, I could see the upside there. And again, to speak to my personal experience, I've lived in a new city basically every six to 12 months for the last four or five years now. And within that time, pre and post COVID, I travel frequently as well. So one of the reasons 
I maybe there's other bigger obstacles like insecurities, but one of the reasons why I feel like I've never been consistent with a practice with yoga specifically is that there's never been like this uninterrupted 10, 12 week period, or definitely nothing beyond that where I'm like, okay, I'm in, let's say Boston local to you every single Sunday, I can totally commit to making this a thing. So yeah, the, on, the online stuff makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like you'll be in my online class soon at 10 a.m. <laughs> I, will, I will commit to doing a class soon. I certainly will. Um, now, Allie, to me, there's no better person to ask than you. For somebody like me who is super sporadic with yoga and meditation is, you know, different and combined practices, where on earth do I begin? You said the misconceptions were, you know, that it has to be in a classroom setting. You know, it's not always for men. It's you know, my, my old misconceptions were that it had to be an hour. You had to be completely, like I said, folded in a pretzel during it. What's a realistic place for somebody like me to start that's not overly intimidating where it's also enough to get the benefits? Because you'll hear people say like, oh, start with a minute a day. But I sit here like, is that even worth it? So what are your thoughts on that? 100% worth it, whatever you do. And my thoughts on that more specifically um, to your point of it not having to be a whole hour, if you're looking to build a meditation practice or any sort of, I'll even go as far as to say, if you're looking to build a morning routine and you want some, or you want to add something new to your morning routine, you want to add a little bit of stretching or meditation or yoga and you want to combine the two, Start with five minutes a day. It's worth it because that five minutes that you do, if it's a meditation on Insight Timer, again, I will plug Insight Timer because they have anything from two-minute meditations to start your day specifically. Type in start my day and there's a thousand different meditations. I really have no excuse if there's a two-minute option. (laughs) No, and you can filter them to, to show you Okay, show me the duration of time, like filter them through their duration of time. So you see the shortest to the longest kind of a thing. So you can select one that fits what you have space for in your schedule. Um, and, And that would be my best advice to start a meditation practice, because, again, that's actually really how I learned more about meditation was Insight Timer and also Headspace, but Headspace, you get a 10-day free trial and then you have to pay for it, which is lame because meditation should be free. So go to Insight Timer um, or get the 10-day free trial and listen to the man with the British accent. But whatever you want, <laughs> it's, it's accessible. Online, there are resources. If you want to start a morning practice there are five-minute yoga videos you can do. There are YouTube videos. There, That's the easy, easy route, right? But what I really would suggest would, would be making a personal connection with an instructor, finding somebody who hosts classes where you live. Um, but if you are someone like yourself where you're moving locations somewhat frequently, Um, or you're traveling a lot, then I would say find an online class (laughs) because because that really in all seriousness, and it doesn't even have to be with me necessarily, but that really is going to be what helps you the most is making a connection with somebody who teaches. Just like if you are really looking to learn about a strength building program for yourself, or you're really looking for a nutrition program, or you're really, really looking to up-level yourself, you can look online. There's all of the information in the world online. There's YouTube, there's Google. Go for it. If you're disciplined enough to study this on your own and do it and structure it into your day, more power to you. For me personally, (laughs) I hold myself accountable most effectively when I have personal connections and more knowledge um, with what I'm doing. So I really needed a personal trainer for a very long time to teach me the why behind what I was doing. And then 
I was able to kind of step out on my own and take what he's taught me and do it in my own time. It depends who you are. My biggest advice would be to start somewhere and to, to go for it because I think that's the hardest step. Here I am overcomplicating things, wondering the best way to start. When I always tell people who come to <laughs> coaching that the, the, the obstacle or the reason why you haven't succeeded is not a lack of knowledge. You could go online and access all the nutritional studies that I personally access and sift through. You can look up YouTube videos and instructional stuff and courses. You can do that same stuff. It's, is there somebody there to support you and hold you accountable? Because again, I tell my client, like, you don't need me to tell you like fruits and vegetables are good for you. Like you found that out. Great. Cool. What's the next step? How do we work on getting you to actually implement on the things you already know? So again, here, here I am overcomplicating it. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's beneficial a few minutes when that, <laughs> that's the thing I haven't been consistent with is having a, an ongoing personal relationship with somebody who's going to hold me accountable to a reasonable degree. So <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for giving me my own advice, Sally. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime, Sam. Maybe we can work some bartering situation. I would out. love that. I would love that. Um, now, Ali, we're, we're talking about starting with two minutes, whether it's yoga or meditation, starting with two minutes or five minutes. And like, what's a realistic expectation for whether it's physical or mental benefits you could experience with something that short? Like, yes, we're saying it's worth it, but what does it actually look like? If I'm doing five minutes of yoga and five minutes of meditation to start most mornings, are there specific physical and or mental benefits that immediately come to mind for you that you think I could realistically count on with that level of effort? Yes, absolutely. Because you know, whether we'd like to admit it or not, we have relatively short attention spans as human beings, especially in today's society. So if you are really committed to sitting down every morning, like ideally before you scroll through social media, before you go through your email, before you reply to your text messages, whatever it is, if you wake up, have a glass of water, and breathe for five minutes, that'll feel like a long time. <laughs> like five minutes of you closing your eyes and focusing on your breath as this sort of foundation for your focus to come back to. And then you're observing all of your thoughts like passing clouds. And then you are able to notice just really how much we think about when we first wake up in the morning and how much is on our minds for the rest of the day. You're compartmentalizing all of those thoughts. You're giving yourself five minutes of space in the morning to be and to breathe exactly as you are and to see how you feel. How are you feeling? There are so many days when we wake up and we know what we have to do. And then we assign ourselves a mood or in a, like we try to cultivate feelings within ourselves. And, and often, to be fair, we do this to be productive. We do this so that we move forward in our day productively. I'm not saying don't be productive and don't push through what to get to where you have to be or to get done what you have to get done. I'm saying pause in the morning, give yourself time to meditate and breathe. And meditation could be defined as conditioning the quality of our thoughts through conscious breathing. And so that's what you're doing. Can you repeat that for me? I want to make sure I have that completely sure. down pat. Conditioning the quality of our thoughts through conscious breathing. And conditioning the quality of our focus, I'll say. So the conditioning the quality of our focus and our thoughts through conscious breathing, that's really what you're doing. You are shaping the relationship you have to your thoughts. And when you do that in the morning, those responses that you are creating within those five minutes of awareness and you are observing and you are able to be the observer, those 
responses then feel more familiar throughout your entire day. When someone, even if, even if it's as simple as you're driving on the highway and someone cuts you off and you're like, <laughs> no, that could be your initial reaction. But if you have just a little bit of space between that stimulus and your response, you're more likely to be like, okay, you're an asshole. Like, you know, like, you know, and notice how I'm not like dismissing the fact that I feel like this person is an asshole for cutting me off. It's just that like, I'm not going to let that emotion then affect my mood. And like, like just that's another thing that's throwing me off in the day. And I just use that example because a lot of little things can then accumulate to feel like something much bigger than what they're really worth. Allie, you know what's funny without even realizing it? You could not be speaking to me any more personally as a former hothead on the road and as somebody who is working literally within 90 seconds of waking up every single morning on, on my laptop. I'm like, I don't think Allie realizes she's throwing a lot of shots in here. <laughs> I'm like, this, this is me. Um, actually, you might find this appreciate this story more than most. Uh, again, I used to be a total hothead on the road. I would react to absolutely everything. And I was driving with my buddy Malik and a car looked at us, looked, and then just gave us like, a, screw you, I'm going to go anyway. And he pulled out and we almost rear-ended him because again, it was such an aggressive maneuver by him. So I'm laying on the horn. I won't repeat the things I was saying at that time. I was 17 and very angry. <laughs> um, but Malik turned to me, he goes, dude, this is ruining your day, not his. He doesn't care. And then a line that I'd say honestly changed my life is he who angers you conquers you. If you're reacting to every single person, like you're letting them win. You're in this case, letting those thoughts instead of letting that pass. Like you said, this guy's kind of an ass, but whatever. I'm just going to go like, there's, there's no upside to me reacting to this. And I could have theoretically at the time observed that, as you mentioned, in a very unemotional, unbiased way. But I didn't have that skill set yet. So I, of course, I rode him for the next 10 miles, probably swearing outside of my window. Um, but that conversation with Malik did change a lot of things for me where, like you said, I didn't have the language that I do now through people like yourself. Like that, that could be the passing cloud of, wow, that guy, that was, that was not very kind of him. I'm sure he's done kinder things in his life, but I don't need to necessarily react to it. Yeah. Well, a, I'd be curious to know if Malik meditates. And, and B, <laughs> I think that that brings up a great point because we all are judgmental. We all can be reactive. We all have this within ourselves somewhere in some capacity. Granted, some people are naturally more calm than others sure Malik <laughs> okay maybe Malik shout out Malik but 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 when you have this practice what you are doing and you will appreciate this because you are someone who can appreciate the science behind what you're doing for physical exercise for example or nutrition or whatever it may be that when we are meditating we're changing the neuropathies pathways in our brain and we're rewiring how we operate and so what that is doing is conditioning our cognitive flexibility and so you do that five minutes a day on its own and you just become more comfortable with the uncomfortable and you start to be able to do it and then you start to realize that it's kind of like waking up and taking a vitamin or taking or, or having a cup of coffee. You feel it when you don't do it. You notice when you don't have a healthy breakfast in the morning. You notice when you don't have caffeine if you're someone who may be dependent on coffee. You notice the absence of it. And for me, when I was in yoga teacher training and we were required to be meditating for something like 30 minutes a day at least and taking additional yoga classes on top of that, when I wouldn't meditate, I would feel more irritable and I would notice, wow, I'm just, I need to go meditate. I need to breathe. 
Because as soon as I cleared my own energy and within myself, I realized when I feel best, I'm also showing up as my best self for everybody around me. And when I do create that space for myself in the morning to compartmentalize whatever I have going on, it makes me more readily available to then give my best self and my present self where I am present in my interactions throughout my day. I'm so glad you mentioned the the physiological side of things, the actual reconditioning that can occur at a neurological level. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I mean, you know, this about me, I'm somebody who has struggled with the meditation, the yoga side of things. Cause a lot of times it can feel a little bit more up in the air to me. Like, a, not that it's, I know it's science-based logically, but with sets and reps and protein grams, like I, that's so tangible to me. So hearing that from you, like, no, this is like a very physical, yes, it's mental, but a very physical thing where you reroute the way, almost rewire the way your brain operates. And like, that feels so tangible to me. So I appreciate you mentioning that. That is so powerful and so motivating to me as somebody who does identify a bit more as like a physical person that I could almost like reframe this not as a workout, but yeah, like a workout for my brain as cliche as it is. I always, I always use that analogy because there are so many different kinds of exercise and so many different categories of exercise. And there are so many different kinds of meditation and yoga. And you can apply this physically with yoga as well and recognize that all of the physical postures that you do in a yoga practice that cause your body discomfort, that is supposed to be the meditative opportunity for you to observe what you're physically feeling and that discomfort and breathe and just observe it and just feel what is instead of forcing anything or trying to edit how you feel or be more flexible. You don't need to push yourself into these postures to aesthetically align something. Go sensationally based, like sensationally you're feeling something. So it's probably productive. And when you do that over time, you're also you know, having that effect on your muscles, the pliability of your muscles, the flexibility that you have, all of the fascia that is around your muscles, tendons and ligaments, the connective tissue is going to over time stretch itself out. You're going to release tension. You will become more flexible. That is the benefit of the physical practice to your earlier point, asking you know, if I do this five minutes a day, will I feel this? Hell yeah, you'll feel it. You'll feel it in your neck. You'll feel it in your shoulders. It might be, it might, you know, five minutes a day, arguably, you might not feel it as much as if you're doing an hour a day. Sure. But, or even an hour every few days, you know, but you're going to feel your work. You are doing something intentionally for your mind and your body, and you're going to feel the difference that it makes over time, just like exercise. You can't, it's not a one and done kind of a date. It's not a one night stand. You can't, you know, like we're not. (laughs) Gotta commit to it. Yeah. You can't be here for a good time and not a long time. You gotta be, you gotta be committed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. That makes total sense to me. Now, Allie, before we move on to the quick six, would you have any specific recommendations for like, I, I know that this is probably be an episode in itself, but the types of yoga, because, and excuse me if I'm naming this incorrectly, vinyasa is the most common yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and like, that's all I know as somebody who's not in it. So do you feel like that's a, to, again, especially somebody who's a beginner or even intermediate who's inconsistent, do you feel like that's relevant for somebody just starting out when we're, when we're using your action steps and looking on YouTube or looking for a specific instructor, do you feel like the type of yoga is super relevant or just the fact that we're doing yoga at all? Yes. Thank you for, thank you for asking me this question because it is, it is relevant. It is. So and, and shameless plug, if you are just starting out, I would recommend my Sunday morning 10 a.m. <laughs> class because what I do in this class is I combine vinyasa and yin. So um, if you've heard the term yin and yang, mm-hmm. yeah, if yep. you heard yin and yang. So and a lot of people are familiar like, oh, you're the yin to my yang. There is 
actual logic behind that because in yoga, vinyasa would be the yang and yin would quite literally be yin. So vinyasa is typically a little bit swifter. One breath, one movement at a time. Inhale, reach your arms up. Exhale, forward fold. Inhale, halfway lift. And you move through these postures fairly quickly. It's more, to, to put it into fitness terms, it's more dynamic stretching. And so yin is a slower approach. Um, you definitely find an edge. It's hard for people to slow down. And especially if you're holding a lot of tension in your body, you're going to work into these shapes and be there for a long time and you're going to feel something. But it stretches out your fascia there's really no substitute for it. So if you are just starting out, I would recommend either a hybrid of both, aka my Sunday class, <laughs> or I would recommend doing a little bit of both. Going to a vinyasa that might not be a heated power flow. If you see anything like power flow or power or quick or any of those adjectives that insinuate you're going to be dripping sweat and you won't leave dry at all, <laughs> then maybe look for something that has an adjective like guided or even hatha, which is a term that's basically the breathing that you do in yoga. So Yes, be wary if you're just starting out of power flow or heated vinyasa, right? But you could take a guided vinyasa class. You could take a hybrid vinyasa, which will most likely incorporate some fundamental movement and also some yin, which are some long connective tissue stretches that I call my playlist twinkle time for. And it's <laughs> nice and like, you know, so do a little bit of both. And then also, if you're somebody that is working out, you're a power lifter, you're a bodybuilder, you're someone who works out and has a has a routine. Yin yoga is the kind of stretching we all should be doing. That is the kind of stretching where you're you're holding these postures I don't even want to tell you how long because you might be <laughs> scared me off. <laughs> yeah. But you're holding them for a good amount of time, but you don't even realize it because of the meditative work you're doing. And if you have an instructor that is prompting you in a productive way to be essentially meditating when you're in these postures, it goes by like that. And it's the kind of stretching that everybody needs in recovery. But we like to hold half pigeon pose for like 10 seconds on each side. And then we're like, oh, okay, we stretched. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm <laughs> so, guilty of that. <laughs> Looking at me. <laughs> well, so, um, you I know, appreciate that. start off with a hybrid, a little bit of yin, a little bit of yang. You need them both. Yeah, no, that, that's super helpful. Like I said, for me, as somebody who is so sporadic with it, even understanding the difference is helpful in itself. And I think a, I think a hybrid sounds great. And I will obviously plug to the uh, the class in the show notes. So I'll link out to New Human um, so people can take that class with you, myself included. <laughs> uh, now, Ali, the last thing I have for you today is the quick six. So we're looking at six rapid fire questions, whatever the first answers to come to mind are. If you're ready to go. Drinking a little water first. <laughs> yes, clear my throat. <laughs> first question for you, Ali. What would you be doing if you were not an expert in yoga and meditation? I genuinely believe that I would be working in the civil rights department of the ACLU, <laughs> which is American Civil Rights um, Liberty Union. Tell me more about that. Like what draws you to that? Why do you feel like that would be the case? I am a huge advocate for human rights, whether it be um, my belief that everybody should be able to marry whoever they want to marry. Um, my belief that I believe 
this country as great as it is and with all of the privileges that come along living in it, I believe we have a lot of work to do um, systemically and specifically uh, fighting the systemic racism that exists in our country. Um, I believe that women should have full body autonomy. I believe these things and they could sound very radical to some like, whoa, you're, you're so political. And I'm like, well, I really just care about human rights. And it wasn't until I learned how many human rights unfortunately have to be political that I was really into politics to begin with. But now, lo and behold, I'm into politics and here we are. So I really do believe I'd be working for a nonprofit organization um, like the ACLU or something of the sort. I said, that's really powerful. I love that. And I obviously support each and every one of those causes. So um, I think that's great. Next question for you, Allie, if you could listen to one artist or band's catalog forever, who would it be? And this might be the hardest question for you. Cause I've been to your yoga class and I've heard hardcore hip hop followed by burn a boy followed by pop. Like, a, <laughs> Like, like some some reggaeton yeah. like, <laughs> just random. like yeah you have I know I'm glad you have and I'm like blushing because I really do listen to such a wide variety of music and I thought about this question probably the longest thank you for prepping me just of a little course. bit I like to have these questions in advance because they're so hard to answer on the spot I really thought about this and my just my gut immediate re- like reaction, if you will, reaction response would be J. Cole. And then being in the overthinker that I am, I'm like, <laughs> but sometimes I just like really want to like belt out like a melody, you know, you just want to sing and, and I need to like sing. And I thought of the songs I could potentially sing of J. Cole and it's like Crooked Smile is about it. And (laughs) I just, I don't, (laughs) so I will say J. Cole, but if not J. Cole, I would probably go with Miguel. Got it. Okay. Leave it, leave it to an overthinker to have a 1A and 1B of a one answer question. (laughs) I know, this is not, not what you asked. Although you were not the first person to say J. Cole. So I'm curious if that eventually picks up steam and he would be. I would say I'm going to turn this question on myself for a second. He'd be surface level, easily top three to five of who I would narrow it down to. I won't waste everyone's time narrowing down that list in real time, but I, he'd be on the he'd be on the short list for me. Allie, if you could only have one meal for the rest of your life, and I know you had asked before, do I have to worry about portions or nutrition? No, this thing checks all the boxes. You were fully <laughs> sustained for life and health and fitness. What is that one meal you're having forever? Okay, if it gave me all of the nutrients that I needed and I could just eat it all of the time, it would be the chicken, bacon, mac and cheese from Bourbons in Framingham, which shout out to Luke Foley because he's also from Framingham and it's just a locally owned restaurant. So I'd be supporting small business and (laughs) eating a great meal for Maybe the rest to you of to have life. a cause attached to the one meal that you have for <laughs> supporting small businesses as well. So what is that? You said it's a chicken, bacon, mac and cheese. It's it's technically the bacon, mac and cheese, but you can add chicken. Okay. And I always add chicken because why wouldn't you add the yeah. chicken? It's like shredded chicken too. So oh, that's it's great. very good. Because yeah. I'm picturing like the classic fitnessy dry ass, four ounce, four day old grilled chicken breast with no. I don't. I was like, am I going to have to say grilled chicken and broccoli with brown rice? No, God, no. That's not fun. Imagine if I did ask this question and said, well, like the macro and micronutrients matter, how much less fun that would be. People would be like, oh, grass-fed bison and this and that. So No, give um, me all the carbs. If I I could just eat carbs. (laughs) That's a great answer. Allie, what do you value the most in a friendship? This is also a tricky one. And I really had to ask myself this of like, what, like think about my closest friends and the people in my circle and what do I value most? And I, I'll go with integrity. Tell me a little more about that. Where do you feel like that comes to the forefront in a friendship? Having 
I am someone who is attracted to people with a strong moral compass, mm-hmm. like standing for something and knowing that this person is about what they say they're about. They walk the walk. We're going to get along because I think integrity has to come with a certain amount of confidence. It has to come with a certain amount of loyalty. It has to come with a certain amount of self-awareness and honesty. So all of that, I was just trying to wrap it up. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I was like, integrity. They have to have integrity. Yeah, I, well, I love that because like you said it, 99 of 100 times, you're not going to have somebody who's full of integrity, who's not also confident and loyal and trustworthy. Right. It comes with a lot right. of those things. I like yeah. that as, as an umbrella. Again, leave it to you to find an answer that somehow checks multiple boxes. I told you I journaled this morning. I was ready. <laughs> I was ready for this. Um, well, next question for you, Ali, something most people don't know about you or something people might be surprised by. I believe the people closest to me in my life know this, but I don't believe that my general following or my students or just people that might not know me as well know that I love football. I love football. I love watching it every Sunday. Don't talk to me. (laughs) I'll be watching football. And this really came... I was I was debating of like do I share this or that I like love Brazilian food and like all these like you know Latin food and I'm like I feel like people know that because of just like I'm pretty out there with what I love but football is something that I grew up watching with my father and I'm an only child so maybe a couple fun facts in one yeah. I'm an only child and so it was my way to really connect with my dad when I was younger because it was an opportunity to spend quality time and also he would just light up teaching me about the game and teaching me about the team and and all of that so I really love football now to this day to the point where I watch it even if I'm alone (laughs) yeah that's amazing that's so so good um I got to admit on the football side of things I think because I've never gotten to know the sport like I have a twin brother I actually don't know if you know that I have a twin brother and he played and I got to know the sport a little bit from him but I feel like my hurdle for enjoying it was always the same just like not a full understanding of the like I couldn't name every position in football right now and yeah. I'm sure learning with your dad you know the x's and o's getting to spend that time with him seeing him light up when he's teaching you about it has just like fostered this deep love for the game yeah for exactly you hit the nail on the head so I don't think I think that's something not a lot of people know about me. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. where I am on Sundays. <laughs> um, you and I also need to talk about Brazilian food at some point because, as you know, my wife Vanessa is Brazilian, so that is something that I've I've absolutely fallen in love with, and we should get Brazilian food at some point. <laughs> uh, we're a step ahead of you, Vanessa, and I had a chat, and we're going to set up a time where the two of you are going to take my yoga class, and then we're getting Brazilian food. Okay, well, that sounds like know, the perfect day. <laughs> I don't know if she knows that we're getting Brazilian food, but I was already thinking a step ahead, and she'll then, never say no. She'll never know. say no. To that. And I remember Vanessa and I have a shared love of a lot of food from our short conversation post yoga class last time. So that's why I was already planning ahead, but yes, she and I have talked. <laughs> we are all hanging out soon. <laughs> okay. I'm up for that. Again, she won't say no to the Brazilian food for sure. Last question, excuse me. Last question for you today, Ali. Biggest thing you want to accomplish personally or professionally in the next calendar year. So I will say that, Personally and professionally, this answer is very intertwined because I am very grateful that I've been able to monetize something that I am so passionate about and that I really do feel I live every day in my own life. Um, So with that being said, I really want to expand my skill set. Specifically, I want to be certified in aerial yoga um, I made a recent post on my Instagram at Ali Strat with two T's <laughs> that you can look at. And I was taking a class of 
of a friend of mine who teaches aerial yoga. And I really, really fell in love with it. It was just exciting and new, yet a little familiar. And so I want to be certified in that by the end of the year and get hired and have at least a few classes at a studio in Boston to teach aerial yoga. Well, in the interest of me not getting concussions, if I ever take an aerial yoga class, it will absolutely be with you because I would trust nobody else to not allow me to get hurt besides you. <laughs> yeah, you know what it is, right? Like with the silks. Yep, hanging from yeah. that. I'm picturing people yeah. hanging upside down with their legs twisted. Yep, 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 yep. yep. The yep. concussions. So I will be certainly, I will certainly be coming to you when you do get certified later this year. Now, Allie, when people want to connect with you, I know we touched upon it a little bit. Best ways being through new human classes, through Instagram. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can um, you can add me on Instagram. Follow me, I'll follow back. Um, <laughs> and also, yeah, the new human classes. But I'm also on Facebook and all of the social media platforms. I will say I'm most active on Instagram in terms of um, promoting myself and what I'm doing. If we have any pop up, or if I'm hosting any pop up classes somewhere with. Uh, um, various companies or whatnot. I always post about it. So follow me on Instagram and I will connect. I'll be happy to connect and also answer any specific questions your following may have after listening to this. I'm happy to talk, um, slide into my DMs. <laughs> well, that is super kind of you, Ali. I do appreciate it. And obviously I will link to each of those and thank you so much for being here. I know People are going to get a ton out of this. I know I certainly did. You cleared up a lot of questions that I personally had, and I'm sure there are plenty of people in my shoes who will learn just as much. So thank Great. you for that. I appreciate it. Great. It was a pleasure being here. It was a breeze. So thank you so much for having me and for thinking to bring me on. Of course. We'll talk to you, Nelly. Bye.